Hey everybody, welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. This is your host, Libertarian Tony. Now, I was supposed to do this show with conservative Joey, but guess what? He fell asleep again, and um, I hope he didn't watch the debates and then miss the podcast, but I'm going to do kind of a recap of the third Democratic debate and then provide a little bit of commentary and analysis. I don't know. It's a... I'm doing this so that if you missed the debates, all two and a half hours without commercials of it, then you can just, you know, take my word for it. At least maybe you will. I don't know. It's probably not worth your time to actually watch the debates, though. Anyway, so let's get right into it. So first, uh, during the everybody opened with some sort of intro statement, and of course, most of them or all of them attacked Trump. That was kind of like the theme for the debate. Uh, right off the bat, that guy Yang, the um, the guy that wants to give everybody a thousand dollars a month, he came out and decided to buy votes from ten different families, and he said he's donating a thousand dollars a month to ten families for a year. Okay, so he's got he's got at least votes from those people. Um, he made lots of promises, or in general, they all did. Same sort of repeating theme. All will be well if you vote for me. Uh, Warren tried to come out and say that she was middle class, vote for me. Uh, Bernie did the same thing he usually does and just started yelling at everybody and, you know, wants to give everybody free everything and and combat climate change, of course. And uh, Biden, Biden is going to cure cancer and he's going to attack climate change. And then pretty quickly, he went right after Warren and Bernie on the whole spending issue. So I thought that was kind of a good, I guess, segue, right? Because his plan is nowhere near as expensive as what Bernie and Warren have put up. And so he went after both of them about how are you going to pay for it, right? So right away there, Biden seems kind of like at least more moderate, or maybe he has, you know, a brain. He's thinking about like how we're going to pay for all this free stuff, right? So with Warren... Her kind of answer was tax the rich, tax the big companies, and then eliminate private insurance and Medicare for all. Okay. And under Bernie, Bernie just didn't really answer the question. He just came out and said, I wrote the bill. Medicare for all would eliminate private insurance. and We're going to go after the drug companies. And then that was it. And he kind of rambled off. But he didn't really answer the question. Obviously, neither of them really answered the question, but at least Warren came out and said tax the rich and the big companies. I think in the past, though, Bernie had mentioned that the uh, taxes, even on middle-class people, will go up. And that makes sense, right? There's no way you can enact another $30 trillion plan under Bernie Sanders and not have taxes go up on everybody. Okay, eventually Klobuchar got involved and said that the, uh, you know, and she was sounded kind of reasonable on this, that 149 million people would lose their current insurance. All right, makes sense. So Warren responded. The people don't have to fight the insurance companies anymore for access, yada, yada, yada. There's going to be a different sort of fight if Medicare for all passes. And I'm going to go into a little diatribe at the end of this podcast about some of that. So just kind of wait on that point. So Buttigieg and Harris both talked about a public choice option, uh, something that's not mandatory, 
And I can kind of get into why that still wouldn't work. You can't have government compete with private companies in the same kind of industry, right? So there's a reason why um, FedEx and UPS don't really deliver regular mail, right? It's, it's, it's either illegal or it's completely subsidized by taxpayers. So taxes are actually paying the bill as opposed to, you know, you're using, when you're using FedEx and UPS, you're paying it directly yourself, right? So government can run up the prices on anything and they just reach back into the coffers for more money. So private companies can't compete with the government when it gets into that sort of endless supply of money from the taxpayers. I think this was the probably the third or fourth medical plan that Kamala Harris has put out in the past year. She keeps refining it or playing with it, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Beto O'Rourke also talked about a public choice option. And then Castro went after Biden pretty hard. And uh, I think kind of accused him of being like an old forgetful man or something. I don't think that went over well with the audience. Uh, anyway, you, you kind of had to, I guess, be there to see that. But they kind of booed him for that one. Okay, so then they got into the whole Trump is racist and he inspires violence topic. And then Booker came out and said that he's going to establish a government office for like anti-racism. And they all have these comprehensive plans on how to combat racism. And uh, Harris asked about her flip-flopping because, you know, people got to knock her down for like that fourth spot. So just coming into the polls, I don't know if you knew this, you have basically Biden in the lead. Then you kind of have Warren and Bernie in that second and third position. They're kind of battling it out. And then the next one after them, I think, was, is Kamala Harris. And so, you know, if you're in last or second to last, you're either going to go after, you know, one of the top three, or if you knock down Harris, you knock her off that fourth spot, you can put yourself into the next debate, right? So they went, some people went after her about the flip-flopping, and she played the race card. I mean, right away, she started talking about, you know, that she's black and all the good that she has done, you know, as the, you know, uh, attorney general, and she didn't even answer the question about the flip-flopping. Most of them, I think, they basically agree on this. They want to let nonviolent people out of jail, and you get your rights back, and I'm okay with that. That makes sense to me. I mean, if there's no victim in a crime, well, then there's no real crime, right? Okay, so then eventually we got to the gun topic, right? And Kamala Harris came out and said she's going to issue an executive order on banning guns within the first 100 days. But earlier on in the debate, they kind of talked about the theme with Trump having too much executive power. So which is it? You know, does the president have too much executive power? Or does the president only have too much executive power when it's not, you know, a person in your party? You know, make up your mind. Uh, Biden actually challenged Kamala on this, and I thought that was a good point. And he said it was unconstitutional. And she said she would do it anyway. And she was kind of happy about it and giggly. Uh, this, uh, I thought, was pretty interesting. So Beto O'Rourke, who is basically a Texan, he came out and he said he's going to have a complete ban on the most common rifles in the country, so the AR-15 and the AK-47, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, 
He's just going to ban the guns. And he's going to send people to your house to take them back from you. So he just lost basically every single Texas election going forward, right? I don't see how this guy could ever run for office again in any state like Texas or Arizona or Florida. So he's going to have, probably have to move to California or New York or something. Some of the other candidates talked about mandatory gun buybacks. Uh, okay, well, is it not the same thing as gun confiscation if it's a mandatory gun buyback? And I guess since you didn't actually buy your gun from the government, then they're not really buying it back, right? They're just forcing you to sell it to them. But they don't want to call it that. They don't want to call it gun confiscation because that's too scary. Uh, Booker talked about some sort of federal license to get a gun, but that, of course, is anti-constitutional, right? The Second Amendment specifically prohibits the uh, federal government, right, or the general government from your ability to arm yourself. I, I mean, Booker again tried to imply that he came from the ghetto and that gun violence is president or, or, uh, prevalent where he came from, but again, lives in a rich neighborhood, and he grew up in a rich neighborhood with well-to-do parents, okay? He keeps, I think, an apartment in, like, a bad neighborhood, but when people interview, like, his neighbors, they're like, oh, yeah, we've never seen him here, okay? So he doesn't actually live there. He just does that for, for show. Uh, Elizabeth Warren was a little bit more broad on the gun violence problem. Uh, she talked about universal registration, and she blamed the gun industry, and she wants to end the filibuster, yada, 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 who knows. Interesting, Bernie admitted, and this happened a couple of times, Bernie admitted that the corporations are buying politicians. So that was nice and candid of him to do that. Uh, Biden was asked about uh, deportations. Okay, so this is, we're switching on to the whole immigration topic again. And under Obama, uh, the moderator of the debate wanted to know whether he thought it was a mistake that what he and Obama did with all their millions of deportations over the eight years, was that a mistake? And of course, he didn't answer the question. So the moderator eventually moved on to Castro, and because Castro was involved in the Obama administration, and he didn't answer the question either, and he immediately went after Biden. Okay, so I don't know what happened with that exchange, but again, Nobody wants to answer any tough questions. They just kind of segue into something else, right? They just say, well, let me tell you something. And then they go into a whole story. So, I mean, in the last debate or even the first one, we, we heard that basically um, these candidates wanted to make the country open to everybody. And Beto said that again, that he wants to open it to anybody who wants to come here. Eventually, we got to China and some trade questions. And nobody had really any specifics on China, and I thought that was interesting. And they kind of talked about ending the tariffs, and that, but some of the candidates like, well, maybe we don't end the tariffs right away, and we negotiate for a deal, but how is that any different than what Trump is kind of doing right now? So I thought that was kind of interesting, is that, you know, their plan is kind of similar to what Trump is doing, and I, I'm not necessarily a fan of the Trump tariffs myself, but they didn't really have any other specific way of dealing with the China problem. Okay, but I think we're going to have to do trade on a whole separate podcast, so we'll plan that for the future sometime. Anyway, uh, back to the debate. They finally started to talk about war. Okay, so I think they've spent hours and hours on uh, debate so far, and 
they've only had a few minutes for foreign policy and war-type stuff. So, I mean, war, if you include military defense spending and intelligence spending, you're looking at about a trillion dollars a year. So it's like the single most expensive program that all our, our tax dollars are going to, and these people are only spending a few minutes on it, which I, I thought is really weird. Anyway, so on Afghanistan, uh, Warren said that she wants to bring the troops home, even if there's uh, no deal with the Taliban, which is fine. She said you can't ask the uh, military to, to solve non-military issues. Okay, that makes sense. And then she started talking about things about like anti-terrorism and increasing spying and then, you know, whatever. That's kind of where some of these candidates want to end the wars, but then they also want to, you know, kind of increase some kind of foreign interventions. So it's, it's kind of counterproductive. Uh, Buttigieg also talked about putting an end to endless war. But again, then he said, almost contradicted himself, that he wants to make sure that Afghanistan isn't used in a way to conduct war on us again. I don't know. I mean, that, that's what does that mean? To, to keep troops there forever, keep bases there forever. And then he said something weird where he was like, if they sent troops overseas, he wants there to be like a three-year time limit uh, from Congress. Then uh, they have to vote again. But of course, none of this is constitutional. I mean, the Congress is the ones, they're the ones supposed to uh, de declare war on a foreign country and then appropriate the money for it. So it's not something that's supposed to be coming from the president anyway. Uh, we get into Biden. Biden said he was uh, opposed to the surge and then wants Afghanistan to provide bases for us there. Well, of course, he didn't say for how long. And then he rambled on for a few minutes, and uh, some of this was actually pretty incomprehensible. And I didn't know where he was going. And I, and I was really, you know, unfortunately paying attention. I don't know if this is just getting late in the debate, and, you know, it was just too much for him. Um, but, you know, you know how he has all those gaffes and things like that. Well, I mean, maybe age is catching up. Bernie might have been, like, the only honest one. I mean, he, he voted against the Iraq War. And so he's at least a reasonable anti-war person, okay? Yang came out and said that he signed some sort of pledge to stop the forever wars. I'm not sure what that means, but at least it sounds like he wants to bring the troops back. Uh, somehow they segued into Venezuela, and uh, in Venezuela, Bernie wants to work with other countries, didn't say to do what and how, basically to help Venezuela get free elections. I'm not, not sure what he really wants here. Does he want, like, our own puppet dictator put in place. I mean, they did have some sort of kind of free election where they ended up with Maduro. But I mean, how free is it in a country where, you know, kind of people threaten you if you don't vote for like the right person, right? I think they have a lot more problems in Venezuela than free elections. And voting in one new person, even if he tends to be more capitalist, isn't going to fix anything, all right? They, they have a lot of issues they need to work on. Castro's idea, of course, is pretty unique. Basically, he wants to bring all the Venezuelans here and offer them protected status in the United States. So that was kind of a shocker. I haven't heard that one before. And then out of nowhere, at this point in the debate, Booker is basically calling everybody out on the abysmal care in the VA system. So that was kind of off the cuff and didn't really start any new questions on the topic. People just kind of nodded along and then Booker went away. Uh, they talked about 
climate change, and of course, everybody thinks it's some sort of existential crisis, and we just did a whole podcast on the whole climate change thing. So Beto's plan, you know, he wants to have net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. He wants to mobilize $5 trillion for this. Doesn't say where it's going to come from. And he wants to give grants to communities in flood zones. And that's basically just giving out money to people uh, and incentivizing them to stay in flood zones, right? If, if the government's going to pay for it, if your house floods, well, then why should you move? It's basically a, a moral hazard, right? Uh, Klobuchar, of course, thinks it's an existential thrice, uh, crisis. And th this was actually her answer, which I thought was really odd. She says, I'm from the Midwest, so I'm qualified for this. And I'll use executive orders to do everything in my power to fight the, the climate crisis. Okay, so she's from the Midwest. So what, she's seen a couple of tornadoes? Okay, that makes her qualified. Interesting. Warren says by 2028, she's going to cut carbon emissions from buildings. By 2030, she's going to cut carbon emissions from cars. By 2035, she's going to cut all carbon emissions from the manufacture of electricity. Okay, very ambitious. None of that is actually doable, but very ambitious. Kamala Harris, of course, uh, it's an existential threat, yada, yada, yada. She didn't offer anything different than any of the other candidates thus far. And then uh, this is where that theme that I liked before that Bernie was candid about, Yang came out and said that, uh, and he admitted that politicians are bought by rich and by corporations. And he wants to give money. This is the, the guy that likes to give money to everybody. He wants to give people money who then turn around and give that money to political campaigns. And this will somehow drown out the corporate money. So if he gives you 100 bucks. So a family of, let's say, four, now you have 400 bucks. You're going to give that money to a politician, and that's somehow going to drown out the incentive of a corporation giving millions and millions to people's campaigns and super PACs. You're not sure I understand the math on that one. Uh, we ended up getting into teachers and teaching and at, at, towards the end of the debate. Uh, Yang wants to pay the teachers more. Uh, basically, they all said that. They all said they want to pay the teach teachers more, and they kind of one-upped each other. Uh, Buttigieg wants, he says he believes in public education, pay them more. Harris said pay them more. Warren said pay them more. And also leave 95% of the school debt and, and then give free child care to everybody up till five years old. Okay, and then Bernie came out and said pay them more, uh, up to $60,000 a year for everybody, every teacher. And he wants to alleviate all student debt and make education free for all. Okay, so they're obviously just Bernie's the free everything guy, so it made sense that he one-upped Warren. Castro talked about paying teachers more, and she, he wants to end racism in teaching. Okay, uh, Booker, same sort of thing, more money for the school teachers, end racism. Warren eventually got back in it, and then she told the story of her upbringing and how she... Uh, had to overcome adversity, and but she left out the whole part where she lied on her application about being a Native American. Okay, so just one quick thing on this whole paying teachers more thing. Uh, I would just ask, why? Okay, yeah, teachers do a good job, but it's not exactly a rare profession. I mean, they're turning out teachers by 
the hundreds or thousands from colleges and universities, right? So, I mean, you compare a teacher who, yes, is doing an important job to, uh, let's say, someone like LeBron James or, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, one of these elite athletes. You may only have one or two LeBron James, you know, across the entire country of hundreds of millions of people, right? But teachers are graduating every year from colleges and universities by the thousands. Okay, so there's a reason why, I mean, it's a whole supply and demand thing, right? You have this somebody with this rare and valuable skill, and there's only one of him, LeBron. And you got teachers, and although some teachers are much better than others, right? Teachers, there's thousands and millions of them across the country. Now, under, I guess, a privatized education system, really good teachers can probably make tons and tons of money. And the whole idea of the whole brick-and-mortar school where kids actually go to school as opposed to just, you know, learning online from home, I think is going to eventually change. But under a system like that where you can, you can get, you know, if you're doing online classes, let's say from home, or who knows, it could be half your classes from home or, or parts of them or maybe just the best. Or maybe you go to school and you do the online class at school, and then there's a helper that's walking around the classroom and kind of like helping people that don't quite get it, right? There's any number of ways to kind of make this happen. Well, you could actually have some of the best teachers in the entire country sending lectures out, right? Recorded online lectures to millions of students across the country, right? So this is where the very best teachers can become really wealthy teaching tons and tons of students across the country, right? If only we would let it happen. But anyway, eventually, that's a whole separate topic for uh, another podcast uh, talking about education. But just keep that in the back of your mind. Okay, I guess I can get into like my overall impression about the debate. Uh, You should be pretty happy you didn't watch it. I mean, overall, it was kind of boring. Mostly socialist economics uh, there was unlimited government spending for everybody. I mean, nobody talked about how they were going to pay for it. And then, you know, the Medicare for All stuff. So in a few minutes, I'm going to go into the Medicare for All issue and ex- explain my point of view. Of course, my favorite Democrat, Tulsi Gabbard, wasn't allowed up on the stage. Okay, I mean, they are purposely keeping out the main anti-war Democrat of the crew. Okay, everybody likes to say they're anti-war, but, I mean, this, this lady, that, that's like her platform, Tulsi Gabbard, and, and I think she's great on that, bad on a lot of other topics, but at least she seems very genuine about wanting to bring the troops home. And here's something to keep in mind. It, it's called Horton's Law, and you, maybe you've never heard of Horton's Law before. Okay, so Horton's Law is you have, let's say, a politician uh, or president, and they're, or they're a candidate, right? So they're running for office, and they make all sorts of promises. So Horton's Law says that once they become president, you get all the bad promises they made and none of the good ones. Interesting, huh? Anyway, uh, I guess overall, Bernie kind of looked a little bit more unlikable than usual. Uh, I mean, he, he just continues to kind of yell at everybody, whether it's the people on the stage or at the audience. I think Warren might have done okay, but, you know, in general, she's basically an affirmative action fraud. I don't know how she's going to be able to go up against Trump in a debate. Maybe she can. Biden did seem 
out of all of them on stage to be the most moderate of the crew. Uh, maybe that's why he's in the lead. I mean, maybe that's why, you know, living off the Obama coattails kind of makes a sense. So overall, I'm not too sure that I could actually pick a winner. Uh, I maybe could pick a loser or a couple of losers. Kamala Harris didn't really do anything special to uh, make herself stand out other than say she was going to do unconstitutional, you know, gun confiscation, that kind of thing. And, you know, she didn't uh, answer the flip-flopper question at all. She just kind of danced around it. So, yeah, where she really needed to kind of stand out and do better, I guess, in a debate to kind of maybe work on advancing her lead over some of the other candidates, I'm not too sure she did. I think Beto was definitely a loser in this debate. He was the most aggressive on the gun confiscation, and I totally think this guy just shot himself in the foot for any future election. Uh, in fact, over the past couple of days, uh, some other Democrats have been going on TV uh, talking about how, I guess, Republicans and people are going to use Beto's comments not only against him in the future uh, you know, for elections, but against other Democrats, right? Because many people believe that Democrats really want this. They just, they want gun confiscation, but they're afraid to say it. But Beto came out and said it. So did he let the cat out of the bag for everybody or just him? Okay, so next. Now I want to get into, I guess, some of my comments on the, I guess, Medicare for all. So overall, it seems like many of these politicians just want to take the profit out of medicine. So what happens when you take profit out of an industry? What, do you, what you're doing is you're taking away the incentive for people to be productive and efficient in that industry. It's taking away the whole reason for that industry to exist in an efficient manner. Right? So profit, profit's the motive for someone to provide a valuable good or service. And if they do well and it's valued by a lot of people, well, then they can make a lot of money providing that good or service. And if they don't do well, then they either have to change or they'll go out of business. So when they don't have to be productive or follow a profit incentive or actually please their customers and they're still in business somehow, I guarantee you that they're somehow protected by government one way or another. Okay, I got to talk about this. This was a, a, a little weird. It came up uh, during the whole gun thing with Kamala Harris and Beto. I don't think any of these candidates ever read the Constitution, okay? So I don't really get why these candidates need to have a plan for everything. Presidents aren't supposed to be in the business of creating legislation, right? That's the job of Congress. Presidents are just supposed to execute the laws that Congress passes, it's not their job to come up with a medical plan or a trade plan or telling a country who to invade or bomb next. One of the major problems with our country is that over time, the legislative branch has abdicated their constitutional duties to both the executive and the judicial branches. This is why people get so heated over who becomes the next president or who the president appoints into the Supreme Court. Right? The president and the Supreme Court now basically perform all the duties that the legislative branch is supposed to take care of. For example, declaring war or starting a fight with another country, that's supposed to be a legislative act. That's supposed to come from Congress. That's not supposed to uh, be something that the president decides. 
However, like I guess through prior legislative acts and you know one thing leading to another and setting precedents and abdication of this duty, the president has kind of filled that void and Congress just tends to go along with it and they complain about it, but they never really do anything to stop it, right? The opposite party of whoever is president then gets accused of being unpatriotic and then they get strong-armed into voting for the war effort or, you know, increasing the funds for the troops for some sort of fight that was started by the executive branch. The Constitution has been trashed years ago, and it's no surprise to me that you hear some of these candidates doing it blatantly up on the debate stage. Okay, now for the Medicare for All thing. I've probably touched on this before a little bit in a prior podcast, and this is actually a subject that I happen to know a lot about. So let me tell you what I think would happen if we ended up going, you know, the Medicare for all route. And this is with or without getting rid of private insurance, because I still think the same end, I guess the end game would still be the same, right? Okay, so as it is now, many doctors and medical groups are refusing to take new Medicare patients unless they have some sort of additional payment plan, such as Medicare Advantage. Now, why is this? Well, it's because the payments you get from Medicare alone aren't enough to keep the lights on and pay staff and pay yourself and keep the practice running. Medicare-only payments are loss losers in the industry. Medicare Advantage tips the scales into positive territory. So, I mean, this is a nationwide problem. Now, think what would happen if everybody was on a Medicare for All plan. Do you think a whole bunch of doctors and medical groups would just start taking everyone and lose money across the board? I mean, how could a practice uh, stay afloat like that? I mean, there's a chance the government could force them to, and it may even amount to that one day, where governments kind of make it illegal uh, for you to not accept Medicare patients if you are taking, like, other insurance. Then at that point, you basically become a government employee and then they can pay you whatever they want. The politicians will say it's like some sort of like insurance or Medicare discrimination, and there'll be a lot of hoopla and, you know, about politicians on all the talking shows, you know, and kind of ginning up the, uh, the fear, and they'll make it happen. However, governments can't make it illegal to not take any insurance and go into some sort of cash payment system like many are doing now. I think over time you would end up seeing a mass exodus of regular practice docs into cash payment plans or some sort of cash fee-for-service plan. After Obamacare was passed, the number of concierge physicians and cash practices uh, that opened skyrocketed across the country. Medicare for All would make this happen on steroids. Now, if you think the doctor shortage we have now is bad, then go ahead and pass Medicare for All and the doctor shortage would dramatically increase, right? You'll probably never see another doctor again. It'll probably be all PAs and nurse practitioners. So you end up, at the end, it's still some sort of tiered system where people pay pay cash out of pocket for treatments that they can, if they can afford it, and everybody else is gonna be on the government plan. In addition, what do you think will happen to the number of students going to medical school knowing that many of them will end up in the government payment system after graduation 
where the government tells you how many patients you have to see per day and what you're allowed to charge for specific types of visits. I think this number would plummet. If you think about how many people decide uh, to make the sacrifice or the life choice of going into medicine, uh, it's one of the reasons because it pays off down the road. Now think about this. As a radiologist, I went to college for four years, medical school for four years, one year surgical internship, four years radiology residency, and then one extra year of training or fellowship in cardiothoracic imaging. And then I got my first job at 32 years old. Can you honestly tell me that the same number of people would go through 10 years of schooling and training after college to make the amount of money that you would get paid as a government doctor as in, let's say, Canada or the UK? Think about that one. Okay, another issue I foresee is rationing. Now, I know Bernie and Warren and the others like to talk about coverage for everything, but that's ridiculous. This is impossible because someone still has to pay for it. So if you're not paying for it directly, then the government's paying for it. But the government has no money of its own. It has to first steal the money from you through taxes. So therefore, you're still paying for it anyway. Taxes on everything would skyrocket. Okay, so let me get back into the rationing point of view. So in order to combat rising costs for the increase in utilization of medicine and the increased demand of medical services, there would be significant rationing. Now, you still might be able to get that cancer treatment or that surgery. However, I anticipate it's going to look very Canadian in appearance, meaning that you might have to wait 6 to 12 months just to see that specialist or that oncologist and by that time, either walking around in severe pain from your horrible osteoarthritis, or perhaps now the cancer you have has metastasized and your outlook or your five-year survival just took a big hit, right? So the rationing, as in Canada, would be more through time as opposed to the actual service itself. This is the major reason why Canadians still come to the United States and pay out of pocket to get surgeries and treatments. Okay, so there, I mean, there are many other reasons why Medicare for All is a bad idea. I mean, in general, anything government touches, it screws up. When you think of government, you should automatically think of waste, fraud, and abuse. Now, this is a feature of government, right? This is a feature of a government program. It's designed this way on purpose, despite the politicians telling you they want to get rid of the waste of fraud and abuse. It never happens. Right? Don't they talk about that all the time and they never get rid of it? Remember, politicians only care about themselves um, and their campaign donations for the next re-election. And some industry will look to tip the scales in their direction and get hold of all this government Medicare for all money and give big bucks to politicians on both sides of the aisle to make this happen in their favor. Right? This is what always happens and always will when you have government intervening in all aspects of the economy. Government controls too much of the economy and your life as it is. Giving them more control isn't going to make it any better. A government-induced problem cannot be fixed by another government action. Right, The only things government can do to fix something that they screwed up is to repeal it. They have to repeal a market distortion that they already caused. 
when government intervenes in things less and the free market is allowed to operate, you always end up with higher quality and lower prices. Governments never make anything cheaper. Of course, the government can make something free to you, but it doesn't mean that it's free. Someone's paying for it, and you can guarantee that it's going to cost a hell of a lot more than it would have if the free market was left to provide the solution. Okay, another issue. Doctors spend more and more of their time now in patients' electronic medical records than they ever have before. Now, speaking from personal experience in my medical group, the primary care docs I work with spend about 30 minutes every single day for every hour that they spend seeing patients. So let's do the math. In an eight-hour day, they spend an additional four hours on the computer doing charting. This is why only one primary care doc out of 40 in my medical group is actually full-time. The rest are either a 0.5 or up to like a 0.7 FTE for the most part. So FTE means full-time employee. All this additional time spent on a computer and not seeing patients is directly related to all the government intervention and mandatory, you know, regulatory requirements imposed by government. So CMS, Center for Medicare Services, actually tells you what questions to ask and like what things you should talk to with about your patients. Then conveniently, there's something in the medical record chart for all these mandatory things to be checked off. Right, so the next time you see your doctor, pay attention. Are they looking up at you and having a conversation? Or is their face buried in the computer screen? You might be surprised. Okay, what do you think will happen under Medicare for All, which is basically government medicine for all? Do you think the amount of time doctors spend complying with mandatory regulations will go up or go down? Well, that will do it for today. Thank you all for listening to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Please do me two favors. Number one is to share the show. Remember that we want to continue to advance the message of individual liberty, and sharing and growing the show is one of the best ways to do that. The second favor is to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. A five-star rating is much appreciated. Also, please check out our website, libertyonfire.org. Thank you very much. And until next time, let's keep those fires of liberty burning bright. Yeah.